You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. One of us that we would know God more. Thank you for singing that, Eli. In your Bibles, please, Proverbs chapter number 14 tonight. Proverbs chapter 14, and I told you that, I think I said 15 this morning, but uh, Proverbs chapter 14, there's a verse in here that uh, you've probably read before, but you may have skipped over when you read it and not uh, taken into account or taken time to study it. Some of you have studied it, I'm sure, and, and may already kind of know what the verse is talking about. But I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 14 tonight, and uh, I'm going to go through the introduction of it, which takes the majority of the message, and then at the end, just give you some simple thoughts to take home with you some applications, so we'll do some uh, observing and interpreting before we do the applying. But in uh, Proverbs chapter 14, look down at verse number 10. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 10. The Bible says, The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Now, if you're reading that, and, and I know for a long time reading that, I was like, I, I don't know what that means. What's this talking about there? So we're going to you know, not just skip over it. We're going to need to apply some Bible study methods here, okay? So let's read it again. The Bible says, the heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. So we're going to need to define some words and use our brains here to figure out what's the wisdom behind this verse we're going to see several other passages of Scripture as well. Let's pray before we dive in. <clears throat> Our Father, tonight I want to thank you again for the opportunity to preach the Word of God, to be in church. I pray you bless our message tonight and, and uh, speak with us. And I pray that something said in the message tonight would, would stick with us this week. We'd take it be able to use it. Uh, and, uh, and I hope there's some practical things here. We pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's define some words quickly here. Just two words. And I think we know the rest of the words there. It says, the heart knoweth his own bitterness. Now, we use bitterness as, you know, when we're describing a food sometimes or if, we're, if there's some anger in the heart, you know, I could be bitter against someone. The word bitter here means, <clears throat> means trouble. It means, to, uh, it means a state of misery. It means a state of mental distress and anguish. And so we're going to be looking at the bitterness of the heart, the bitterness of the heart, the trouble of your heart, the, the misery, the, the mental uh, uh, weariness or distress or anguish, the, the bitterness of your own heart. But it says there, the heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Okay, intermeddle, what's that mean? It means intermix. And what it's saying is that a stranger does not share, share with your joy. It means to have an experience, state, or event with another participant. And so what we're really saying in this verse, if we're thinking about it, the heart knows its own trouble. The heart knows its own misery. The heart knows its own sorrows. And a stranger does not share with his joy. So we're looking at two separate things. We're looking at bitterness or sorrow or misery, and we're looking at joy and other people, you know, other people in your life, these two ends of the spectrum even, which cover everything, they're not able to identify with that in your life. The heart, your heart knows its own bitterness. 
Your heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with its joy. Now, we're, and we're, as we're looking at this, and I'm getting into the explanation here, some people may know what you face on the outside. You, your name may be in the prayer list, and someone can look at that and say, oh, that person's on the prayer list for that reason. And so outwardly, people may know what you face, but can I say on the inside, no one knows what you face. No one knows what you carry. No one knows what sorrow you have. No one knows the burden that you feel. No one knows what you have faced in your life and what you have overcome in your life. No one can fully know that, except for you. Your heart. The heart knoweth its own bitterness. And so you know what you face in life. You know, even your parents don't know all that you've gone through internally and what you have struggled with and what makes you who you are. All the years that I've worked with teenagers, I've heard so many times a teen say, no one, no one understands me. No one gets me. And, uh, you know, my parents just, they just don't understand me. And I, and I hear that type of stuff, but I feel like, you know, and, and we can dismiss that sometimes. Well, you're just a teenager. You're not. No, they're speaking truth that really no one truly does understand you fully. Ever feel that way as an adult? Ever feel like no one understands me as an adult? Ever feel like, you know, no one really knows what I've been through in my life? No one knows what I've faced. No one knows the, the difficulties and what goes on in my heart. And the question is, who really does know you? Now, if you're married, you may say your spouse really knows you. But do they? Do they really, really know you? Now, they may know a lot about you. They may, may be able to predict behavior even. But no one is capable of knowing everything you've been through. No one is capable of understanding every emotion you've ever felt and every difficulty you've ever faced. Because you know that. But, but no one else really can understand that. So the truth is that this verse is talking about the fact that we're individuals. That we're individuals uh, in this life. We're made up of millions of moments. And, and there is no one on this earth that can truly understand all that you've been through. That, that's what it's saying. The heart knoweth its own bitterness. You know you better than anyone knows you. Uh, Charles Bridges, who was a, a commentator, said the most poignant sufferings often arise from causes which cannot be told to our dearest friend. And, and, I, and I know that there's things in life where you can feel very alone because it may seem solitary. And it's, by the way, when it says there, a stranger cannot inter intermeddle with, with his joy, it's the same thing with joy too. You know, you, sorrow and joy. No one really knows all that's been in your life, all that you faced, all that has uh, worked in you to bring joy, all the things that Jesus specifically has done for you to produce joy, all the answers to specific prayers that maybe no one else knows about, all the, all the, the time that you have personally spent with Christ and walking and talking with him. And, and, and people can understand, but people... People can hear that, but they don't share exactly with it. Your joys and your sorrows are your own. Now, that sounds discouraging, right? I mean, like you hear that and you think, what, no one can understand me? But your joys and your sorrows are your own. Now, we're going to go somewhere with this and give you some helps. But I want to show you some other scripture passages which back this up. So go with me. We're going to look at a couple passages real quick there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And in your Bible, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. If you have a Schofield reference Bible, it's page one. 1,213, okay? I don't know if you have one, but that's it. All right, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, 
Now look at this random verse here, but, it's, but it is giving us, we don't, we're not going to look at the entire context of the passage here, which is talking about God and what he has prepared for what he's revealed to people, but the thought is, is still applicable here, and it's a, simply just a way of, of bringing it out in, a, in, a, in, a, in the right way, though we're not twisting scripture here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.11, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save or accept the spirit of man which is in him? So what, what person knows the things of you except you? <laughs> what, what woman knows the things about you except you? Uh, so what, what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So as we're looking at these verses, we're going to see that we, we are all so, we're all so vastly different. In many ways. In some ways, we're very similar. But we are put together with all these complex parts. Our childhood shaped us. No one in here had the same childhood. Even if you grew up in the same city, you have the same childhood. But our childhood shaped us. Our relationships shaped us. Uh, Our highs and lows in life shaped us. Our wounds have shaped us. Our decisions have shaped us. So it's easy to say there's no two people alike. Now, uh, science has told us, I think this is fascinating, I've told this before, probably to teenagers, but science has told us there's no two snowflakes alike. Imagine that, like no two snowflakes alike. Go up to Big Bear and start counting the snowflakes in the fall, and there are none that are alike. God is an amazing creator, he can do that. But not only are there no two snowflakes alike, there's no two leaves of a tree alike. Of all the, the billions or trillions of leaves on trees in the world, no two, tree, uh, no two leaves are alike. No two fingerprints are alike, all right? Uh, no one is getting falsely accused uh, and going to prison because your fingerprints were there, but, but you share it with 30 other people, right? Uh, uh, your DNA is different. Even They even say your tongue print is different. Who's taking a tongue print, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine that? All right, put your thumb here, put your finger here, put your tongue here, you know? Like, <laughs> that'd be a little bit weirder in, in you know, the criminal justice system. But uh, it's just saying that, look, I think God is a great creator. He doesn't need to duplicate his work. And he has made things beautiful all over the world, and he has made you unique. And not only has he made you unique, but also the circumstances and situation in your life have made you unique have made you very unique, and everyone faces different hurts and difficulties in life. I like this, uh, this quote I saw somewhere. It says this, everyone knows where the shoe pinches him. Everyone knows where the shoe pinches him. You ever have your kids try on shoes? Ah, it's pinching me. Where? No, it isn't. You know? but, but you know, you know what it's like. And you, know, you may be, as a parent, trying to shove your kid's foot in the shoe, but, but they know what hurts. They know why it hurts or, or uh, what's causing the pain. And so in some measure, and again, this may sound discouraging, but we're getting somewhere. In some measure, you will walk a solitary path in life. You will have to, in some ways, because no one is going to completely understand you. You will be misunderstood sometimes. You'll be misunderstood because no one can judge and take all of the account of what you face in your life, every feeling, every emotion, everything, and see why you did what you did. But you know what? That's also true of the person sitting next to you. It's also true of the person across the aisle, that they will be misunderstood. And no one will really understand them perfectly in their life. So let's see a couple examples of this. Just go with me quickly here, and then we'll get to some practical things in just a minute. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, please. 1 Samuel chapter number 1. 
1 Samuel chapter number 1. Was anybody in the Bible ever misunderstood? 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Now look here at uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 1. If you know the story, this is the story of Hannah and, uh, and had went to the temple to pray because she wanted a child. Her husband had another wife who was able to have children, but she was not able to have children. So she, and by the way, that was a social thing back then. That was a status thing, too. Like you were viewed as not necessary sometimes, which is wrong, but that's sometimes how it was viewed as a woman. Like it was a shame, it was a disgrace or dishonor upon you not to have children because that was one of the primary jobs or, or it, it was viewed that way for, for women. And so Penina, the other wife of Elkanah, Hannah's husband, would mock her. And, and Hannah felt in her heart a bitterness. She felt in her heart deep hurt, deep sorrow from all these years of watching Penina have children and watching the joy that, that she faced in that situation. And so she watched and she sorrowed. Elkanah didn't feel that sorrow like that because he was having children with, with Penina. And, and so it, it was a thing where she was individually facing this alone. No one knew the bitterness of Hannah's heart. So look at chapter 1, verse 10 of 1 Samuel. It says, and she was in bitterness of soul. I mean, it states it right there. And prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now, now here she is. She's in the temple. And now the spiritual leader is coming up. So, so man, good. Because she needs to get to, uh, to a place where there's spiritual leadership. And she needs to be at the temple. So I'm sure that he's going to come and encourage her. And he's going to just lift her up. And he's just going to... No. He says, you're drunk. What are you doing in the temple? Look at verse 14. And Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. So he's, he sees her praying. Like, what kind, of, what kind of pastor was this guy, you know? Someone's praying, and he's like, your lips are moving. You're drunk. <laughs> what in the world, you know? Did he ever pray? But anyway, you know, we, we know that he wasn't the greatest guy. But uh, anyway, she goes to the spiritual leader, and what happens? She's totally misunderstood. She's rebuked instead of being comforted. And so sometimes people can come to church and, and, and you can get so upset because you may have faced more difficulties and maybe other people don't completely understand you. And so what happens is you already have the chip on your shoulder of bitterness and, and when people don't meet your expectations, even though they could not possibly, then it just adds to it. And someone just knocks the chip off and you're just ready to fight or you're just ready to leave, you're just ready to quit. Because of the bitterness of your soul. So here's Hannah with that. Go uh, forward a couple books here to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, quickly here. 2 Kings, chapter 4. 2 Kings, chapter 4, please. And as you're turning there, I'll tell you the story. There's a brokenhearted mom in this story. Why? It's the Shunammite woman. The Shunammite woman was promised a child by Elisha. She gets the child. She's raising the child. As a young boy, he dies. And so, of course, he's going to be brought back to life by Elisha later on, but she doesn't know that. And uh, so she's the one that built the prophet's chamber for Elisha. And 
Look at uh, uh, first King, Second Kings chapter 4, verse number 27. So now she goes to Eli. Uh, Elisha, I should say. She goes to Elisha, and she is going to present the case. I mean, she's headed direct to him. She's saying, everything's well. It will be okay, but I need to go see Elisha because he's the one that promised this, and I believe that he can heal this boy. Elisha has a servant named Gehazi. Gehazi, later on, is going to get leprous uh, in the leprosy in the next chapter because of some covetousness. But look what happens here in 2 Kings 4.27. And when she came to the man of God to the hill... She caught him by the feet. So here's, doesn't mean like she picked him up by the foot. Elisha, that's not what it's saying. It means she fell down and she grabbed, she is obviously suffering. Obviously going through something difficult. And then look what happens, verse 27. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. People did that to Jesus too. Get these kids away from the Lord. Put away these people, get them out of here. And Jesus is saying, no, let them come to me. And here is this lady, brokenhearted, and she goes to the prophet, and Gehazi is ready to kick her out. You know, in, in all the years, uh, again, I, I just dealing, uh, most of my ministry has been with teenagers, so a lot of my stories are about teenagers. But I remember years that, that uh, we would have teens come and sit in this back section over here, and we would love these teens. I'd visit these teens. I'd pray for these teens, and I was not a perfect youth pastor, so far from it. But I, I, try, I loved them, and I cared about them. And I would watch as some people, as they would come to church, would just treat them cruelly. I, I, I mean, and, and, and just, you know, uh, you know, berate them almost about the way they looked, about their appearance, or about something else, and just really get on them. You know, do, what do you do? What do you, and just really be harsh with them. And I would think to myself, you, you don't even know what these kids had to face this morning just to get to church. Well, it, the fact that they're here is a miracle. And, and, you know, and, and, but we don't understand the bitterness of somebody else's heart. We don't know what they face, what they have gone through. Go with me one more place, and uh, then we're going to look at one more place, and we'll, be, and we'll be done with this part and give you a couple thoughts to we'll be done. Job, Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13. This is all building to some applications here at the end. Job chapter 13. People in the Bible carry, they carried their own bitterness, they were misunderstood. They were rejected. They were, uh, were off-put in many ways. If there was ever anyone misunderstood, I think we could say Job would fit in that category. Could we not? Uh, look at Job chapter 13. Job 13, verse 4. But ye, he's, here's Job talking to his friends. You know those great friends that showed up and blamed Job for everything? You know, the friends that, that said, Job, your children died and you're, you, know, you got boils all over you and you lost all your cattle and, 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 and everything else that you have, all your substance because you, were a, uh, you, know, you had hidden sin in your life. Those great friends that Job had, kicking him while he's down. Job says here, you're, you are all physicians of no value. <laughs> you're worthless doctors. You have all this information that does no good. Look, if you would, at chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 2. Chapter 16, verse 2, then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Miserable comforters. You know, Job, you're just being punished for all the sins in your life. They judged him pretty harshly, but they got it completely wrong. And sometimes, you know what I find? I find that we treat people wrong. We'll see homeless people and just, you know, get out of here. Or we'll, we'll, we'll see someone that looks kind of rough. Or, or we'll, we'll treat people in certain ways because we just think we know them. 
We just think we understand them. We just think that we know, I know all about you and all about what you're about. And the truth is, no, you don't. No, you don't. And you would not want people treating you that way. We would not want people treating us that way. There's one more example to look at. Go, if you would, to Isaiah. We're, since we're going forward in the Bible here, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. You may have already beaten me there mentally where I'm going. Isaiah chapter 53. We're talking about people misunderstood. We're talking about people that, that uh, are made up of so many different things and how you are an individual in many ways that, that people are just not going to get. And the person next to you is an individual in many ways that you'll never fully understand. And, and you, you know, let alone when it comes to men and women that are married, that are, that are different sexes, that are different people. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. So look at one more example here. Isaiah chapter 53. Let's look at a verse talking about Jesus. Verse number three. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So Jesus endured rejection. He uh, endured misunderstanding. He endured hatred and sorrow and grief. And he did it for people. And what did his people do? They turned their back on him. They, they misunderstood him. Oh, you're not coming to set up your kingdom now? We're out of here. And, and he was misunderstood. And he carried every one of the, of the sins that have been committed against you and of the sins you have committed, and the grief that you carry, and the burdens that you bear, he has borne them all. Why? Just to save you? Yes, to save you. But another reason, go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Why else would Jesus do this? Why else would Jesus carry all those burdens, and why else would he, would, would he bear all of those things that has happened to you, and the sorrow, and the grief. Why wouldn't he just go straight to the cross, you know, get cut, bleed, and die for our sins? Why did he endure the suffering? Why did he let himself go through what he went through? Was salvation on his mind? Absolutely. But there was something else too. In Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 14. <clears throat> Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace. What am I saying here? I'm saying that Jesus became a man of sorrows, and Jesus was despised and rejected of men and endured all of that and went through what no one else could go through so that he could be the only one to say to you, I understand you. And I know what you're going through. And I know how you feel. He is the only one that could genuinely say that. To tell you that he knows how you feel and he understands. And be truthful and honest completely in that statement. God wants fellowship with you as if you and him were the only two people on earth. He loves you as if you were his only child. He wants to pull you close and tell you that it's all going to be okay. God wants that relationship with you. 
I read a, a, a quote, into his bosom we may pour the tale of woe, which no ear besides his can receive. We may not be able to comprehend it, but he will make us feel that his sympathy with sorrow is no fiction, but a precious reality. That is because we have a great savior. That's why. Why, you know, we, we are individuals, we face individual problems, we've been made up of all these millions of moments in our life, we're put together, no two people are alike, no two people can truly understand what you have been through, what you have faced, and what you have overcome in your life, except for one. Jesus can. He's the only one that can. So saying all of that, what's the takeaway? What are the lessons here? And that's what I want to give you just briefly. I'll say them. Just, uh, it won't take a long time. But I want, you, I want you to get a couple things. Number one, I want to say this. Understand that no two people are put together the same way. We have to understand that no two, sometimes we want to cookie cutter people and just say, okay, you know, oh, no, no, I've seen this before. You're like this, you do no two people, no two kids in your Sunday school class are the same. Even if they come from the same house. I got four kids. They're all different. All of them are so different. We are put together differently. We all face different things, and we've all been through different things. Now, look, I say that, but let me say this, too. That's not an excuse for you to be stubborn. That's not an excuse for you to be rebellious. That's not an excuse for you to be flippant about your relationships, though. Well, well you know, that's just how I am, been through this, and you just never understand me. No, that's not an excuse to do that. It's to help you as you work with other people to understand that no two people are alike. And every person's going to, you know, you can't just do everything. You're going to have to be individual with people. Number two, let me say this. Do not expect anyone to completely understand what you go through. Do not expect anyone to completely understand what you go through. Why? Because they don't go through the same things you go through. And you don't go through the same things they go through. Don't, so what happens is we begin to put expectations upon people. We begin to put expectations on people and expect them to read our mind or expect them to know that that hurts or expect them to know that we don't like that because of what happened here. And, and we expect all these things and we can bring those expectations into marriage or into child rearing or whatever it may be. And we have brought all of these expectations in just expecting that people would know. And no one's going to completely understand what you've been through. So don't hold people responsible if they don't get you. Maybe you have an illness or something, and you feel like people just are flipping about it. Yeah, because it's real to you, and you're facing it. And so if you're holding people responsible and saying, hey, you just don't understand, you're right. They don't understand your loss. They don't understand your sorrow. But here's the thing about that. We may not fully understand what people are going through, but we should try. That's the thought. You may not fully understand what someone, what your spouse has gone through, or what your kids have gone through, what your parents have gone through, what your grandparents have gone through, what the church member next, but you can try. You can try to empathize. You, you can try to do that as a spouse, as a parent. Try to understand people and their needs. When you see people in the street, instead of making a quick judgment, and, and you know, sometimes you listen to stories, and, and you may not fully get it, but you can say, man, I'm, try, I'm empathizing. I'm sympathizing with that person. So understand that no two people are put together the same way. Do not expect anyone to completely understand what you go through. But can I say thirdly, be kind to everybody, because everybody's going through something. Be kind to everybody, because everybody's going through something. You go to the Home Depot this week, the men's mall, right? You know, you love Home Depot. You go there, guess what? Everybody you see is going through something. 
Some people, you'll see it on their faces. They're walking around, you know, checking their phone or just rubbing their eyes or upset or what. Everybody's going through something. Everybody's facing something. So as you're thinking that, you, you may be only thinking about you and the bitterness of your heart. But can I tell you, every heart has its own bitterness. Every person has its own struggle, has its own trouble. And so be kind to people this week because everybody's going through something. Number four, I want to say this. Follow the Romans 12, 15 principle. You say, what's that? Go to Romans chapter 12 and find out. Romans chapter 12. This is our last verse we'll look at. Romans chapter 12. So we're, we're dealing with this and we're seeing how individual we are and how, you know, no one can fully, completely understand us. And that means we can't fully, completely understand someone else. And we get that. We understand that. I think we've seen that biblically. But what does that mean for us? Well, understanding this helps us not to put undue expectations upon other people. It helps us to remember to be kind. But I want you to see also, it helps us to remember the Romans 12, 15 principle. Here's what it says. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice. With them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's what you do. You rejoice with them that rejoice. You weep with them that, re- so, with, that weep. So in other words, do your best to empathize with people. Do your best. Now be honest. Don't say, I know exactly what you're going through. And I know exactly how you feel. And I know exactly what you should do. That's not true. That's not always true. You may be able to offer help. You may be, offer, be able to offer comfort. But you don't know exactly People are made of too complex of things for us to be able to say, I know exactly how you feel. Look, sometimes you just need to be happy with people that are happy. Sometimes you just need to sit and weep with people that are weeping and sorrow with people that are sorrowing. And you just need to be there. Listen, Job's friends would be heroes right now if they had just followed this principle. They'd be heroes. We'd be like, man, we all need friends like Job's friends. That would be the message we're preaching. But that wasn't what happened. They, they, they thought they knew better about Job. They thought, I got you figured out, Job. Here's your problem. And so follow the principle. Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. But, but you know, the, the thing about Job's friends is so fun to me is that they sat there and listened. Mm, mm. And you know what? We, we sometimes as men feel like we got to have a solution. And women do too, okay? But, but they had to have a solution. Job, you know what the problem is? You. <laughs> You're the problem. But it wasn't the problem. And so what they should have done is just follow this principle. And when Job was weeping, they should have just wept. They, they did for a while, but they should have just kept doing it. When it was time to rejoice, they should have rejoiced. That's the principle. I have one last one for you. I said, first of all, understand that no two people are put together the same way. Don't expect anyone to completely understand what you go through. So you're putting all these undue expect, uh, expectations on them. Be kind to everybody because everybody's going through something. Follow the Romans 12, 15 principle, but that leaves us with kind of a thought of like, well, if no one understands, doesn't that kind of mean I'm lonely? No, because you can have people that empathize. You can have people that come along and comfort you, but also because of this. When you face bitterness, go to the only one who truly understands. When you face bitterness in your heart, hurt, sorrow, loss, emptiness, Uh, whatever you want to call it, when you face that, there is someone that can completely understand, sympathize, empathize with you, commiserate with you, whatever you want to say, and comfort you. There is one person. Now, now, we can be good comforters. I think church members and, and Christians can help you spiritually and can give comfort, 
But there is only one person that can put his finger on exactly the problem in your life. There have been many times in my life where I've felt something, and I was like, why do I even feel this way? Why does that hurt? Why does this, why does this happen? And it's only God that can put his finger and say, that's why. That's what you need. Here's what you need. So go sit with Jesus. Go abide with Christ. I feel alone. I'm feeling some bitterness. I'm feeling some hurt. I'm feeling like no one understands me. And whatever it may be, you go sit with Christ. Jesus knows the ins and outs of your heart better than you do. You He does. He knows your hurts and joys, and he knows how they work together to make you who you are. So go sit with Jesus. Go be with him. He can console you. He can comfort you. He can strengthen you. He can push you on. So as we're looking at this, it's kind of an interesting thing. Solomon's just saying, hey, the heart knoweth its own bitterness, and a stranger does not intermeddle with his joy. And he just leaves it, doesn't even explain it. What he's saying is, you're an individual, right? No one knows what you've been through except you, and you don't know what other people have been through. Hey, you know, people don't share with that. They can commiserate, they can have empathy, they can sit with you and, and try to encourage and comfort you. But the truth is, there's only one that can really do that in a great way. It's Jesus. So I want to just ask you tonight, are, are, you, are you blaming people for not understanding you? Oh, I just don't understand me. You know, I'm just I'm upset I'm leaving. Is there some bitterness in your heart about it? Well, I'd encourage you to get that right with the Lord and understand that you're placing undue expectations on other people. But I want to encourage you also to be kind to everybody this week because you don't know what they're facing. You don't know what that clerk at the gas station who's ripping you off at $7 a gallon, all right? It's not their fault, but, but you don't know what they're facing. You don't know. You never know. Let's follow the Romans 12, 15 principle. When there's someone at church sorrowing, let's sorrow with them. There's someone rejoicing, let's rejoice with them. Let's, let's be there for them in that way. And then if it's you that's facing bitterness, run to Christ. Abide with him. That's the answer. Our Father, I thank you so much for...